I hadn't realized that when I scheduled my talk for Friday this week, that it was actually Friday the 13th. (laughs) So (laughs) we'll let superstitions go. (laughs) Hmm. So tonight, it's on some level, it's a little bit of a follow-on to uh, Carol's talk on faith. And by way that tonight I'm going to be talking about effort or energy. And one of the things that we find is that when our faith is strong, when trust is there, effort or energy comes naturally. It really comes from within and is not something that is manufactured. In our meditation practice, effort or energy is something that all of us work a lot with. And when I looked back today at my own life, I just, (laughs) I saw countless stories that could be shared about uh, the learnings along the way. That, you know, there's just been so much wrong effort, (laughs) so much effort that has had painful lessons in it. But in many ways, those lessons are so invaluable. I'll just share a couple of them with you in brief. You know, one was when I was uh, quite a bit younger, I lived in this spiritual community, and the work was our practice. It was the, you know, it's karma yoga, as sometimes is referred to, uh, where that was where we put the totality of our effort, our energy, our devotion uh, into the work that we did. And so when I did that, it was tied up with a lot of other things. And as a result, I was nicknamed Deva Slava. <laughs> um, I think I was worthy of that name. (laughs) But it's somewhere, you know, there was just so much tied up in the effort that I made that was self-referencing, trying to prove oneself, uh, putting in too much effort, that that was the name I was given. Another name I've given myself in practice And these days I hold it so lightly and it's just, you know, I can giggle as I see it once again come into play. And I will sometimes refer to myself as she who tries too hard. (laughs) It's just been repeated over and over. Uh, You know, one of the things I can say about all my years of doing this practice is that there is such a friendlier relationship with patterns in the mind. Then there was another time, this will be the last one I'll tell, (laughs) but I I had gone to Burma really on fire with the Dharma and just, you know, putting in that effort, energy, vigor. Uh, You know, probably some of it was very wholesome, but there was also a lot of grasping, craving, becoming tied in with it. And so what it, rather than when effort or energy is really wholesome, it really replenishes itself. 
But when it's mixed up with these other factors or other states of mind, it becomes very depleting. And that right there is a clue. One, one clue one can look at in one's own practice. And so what was happening was there was this effortful diligence that was wearing me down. And, you know, but there, there was the not wanting to face that. There was wanting to be this superhuman, intense effort being made. And then this gradual wearing down. And then, you know, my roommate reported to me one day that the alarm went off. I woke up, I reached for my water bottle, and I fell asleep. You know, that, oh. And then at the end, or after three months of this, it wasn't at the end, but after three months, feeling just so depleted, I went to my teacher, whom I thought I was listening to his instructions about effort and energy and doing it in the way that I thought, you know, was the right way. But I told him, you know, really kind of ashamed, I think I need to take a break. And he looked at me like, well, it's about time you understood that. You know, that that somewhere it's so easy for us to hear about effort and energy and about how it needs to be heroic, heroic, courageous. It needs to be steadfast, persevering. And somewhere we hook into that in a way that is the living of Friday the 13th in the way it's sometimes pictured to be. (laughs) I mean, you know, it's where things go really wrong. Um, So, and you know, I I know as a teacher, always, I, I always get afraid to talk about effort or energy because it just gets so misinterpreted. And, um, always with me is just this intense desire to be able to alleviate the suffering of others that you won't have to go through what I have. Um, You won't have, you know, I got chronic fatigue from this part of over-efforting. You know, so deep was that pattern. So, so much trying. And, but again, I, I can feel gratitude. Because that, the, that finding myself literally in a puddle on the floor, in a heap on the floor, was kind of like, okay, this isn't working. <laughs> you know? There must be another way. Or, you know, I know that when some of the instruction around effort is given, It isn't meant to do that, but it's just the way that we hook into it with um, goal orientation, with agenda idea, with beliefs, with it being self-referencing, where that is where we get hooked into what's not helpful. And so it's got to be an exploration between what's right, right effort and what's effort that's not so helpful.
One time when I was practicing in Burma, I was practicing at Sayadaw Utejaniya's monastery. And all around the monastery, there was a sign that was really helpful to me. The sign said, there should always be the greatest possible effort without forcing, without creating tension. And this, you know, was like, first of all, it seemed like it defied <laughs> what I knew about effort, but it, it, was, it was kind of like a, a koan that I sat with. How can one apply effort or energy without forcing, without creating tension? And it really led to a whole exploration around effort, around both the, the learning to relax, not force, to receive, yet make an effort to be present, to be aware, to see when the, the ways in which that effort was made was leading into tension, striving, grasping, and really having an interest there. What's happening? What's propelling this? What's the effect of it? And so much of the whatever wisdom I have around effort has come from really feeling the pain of wrong effort. And out of that, the mind does learn. We may be slow, or I was slow. (laughs) We may have some hard lessons. But if in those lessons, we don't just go, oh, you got it wrong again, but really look to see what's happening. You know, when we're caught in the grips of striving, what's propelling the mind there? What's it grasping at? What's it reaching for? What's it not accepting? What's it not receiving? What's it resisting? Right effort or energy, as it's referred to in Buddhist teachings, really has a specific meaning. Because, as we all know, we need energy to do anything in our lives. You know, without any energy, we wouldn't get out of bed in the morning. And we can have all kinds of energy and do things like climb mountains, travel around the world. We can become workaholics. Uh, that energy, you know, can be used in many, many different ways. But with, within the Buddhist teachings, it's really, you know, a collecting or harnessing that energy that's in the mind and turning it towards liberation. Turning it towards that which frees the mind, leads to deep understanding. In the doing uh, or the exerting of this effort or energy, we find it needs to be guided by 
both right view or right understanding, skillful understanding, and right intention or thought. Just to speak a little bit about the support of right view and um, right intention. That this right view is what helps us to give a perspective, to have a perspective that is um, a perspective that guides us towards making healthy, wholesome choices in our lives. Choices that are going to lead to happiness rather than this perpetuation of struggle, anxiety, strife that uh, keeps us feeling bound, frustrated, defeated. So this right view or perspective is something that uh, at first will come in conceptual understanding. You know, it comes through really understanding karma in our lives, understanding cause and effect, how when we do things that are helpful, skillful, are wholesome, that that leads to happiness. And when we plant seeds that uh, create suffering, that exacerbate pain, that are cruel, that it leads to unhappiness. And, you know, we in our lives can have some conceptual understanding of that, and then through a deepening understanding, we really begin to see the causes, the underlying causes of that suffering. And we also begin to see that which leads to the end of suffering. And then we have a really direct experience of the way things are in a mind that is not bound by greed, aversion, and delusion. If we have some perspective of this view, some sense of direction, that really helps us to get in touch with why we need to apply effort or energy. Otherwise, why bother? But when we really tangibly have a sense of a view that is helpful, wholesome, a view that supports harmony, that supports being a human being and living to our full capacity, it's like just the sensing of that, the possibility of that, we find it brings that effort or energy. And then the, the piece that really is the volitional aspect is that around right intention, right thought. So we have some sense of the view, some perspective of the view. And then the, the right intention, right thought is the volitional aspect that helps to bring about that movement of mind to look towards that which is true that which is reliable, that which is supreme happiness. 
So we're working with the effort or energy that is needed to awaken out of confusion and to see things as they are. The habits of delusion are strong. And so that often, right there, is where we start to think that it needs to be this superhuman effort, you know, to do battle with the hindrances, to overcome the hindrances, where there can be the effort or energy that's needed to just know these habits, to know these states of mind, and to be able to relax and be present with, to not be in a battle with. And of course, this needs acceptance. And this is where we find that there's needing to drop the agendas, ideas, beliefs about practice. But just seeing how much effort or energy is needed to know this moment right now as it is. Looking right now. just to turn the mind towards the present moment as it is, to relax and receive this moment, to let it be. In some moments, it's very easy. It just, it's that simple. Relax, look, and let be. Sometimes it's not so simple, or it doesn't feel so simple. But there's a stickiness. There's identification. And then we need a willingness of heart, an interest, an inquiry. And again, that interest, inquiry, can be very simple. It's like um, maybe there is sleepiness heaviness, apathy. And, you know, with apathy, there's no vitality. But in the seeing of that, it's like, hmm, something's seeing it. 
Something's recognizing it. Hmm. What is it? Not having a packaged answer. I love a phrase from Tony Puckard. A, uh, well, she had her roots in Zen practice. Um, but she talks about a wearing without knowing. And this is something Carol spoke to the other night, too. It's like with the, an interest, inquiry, it's that sense of looking without knowing, but looking. And that brings just that, that, that interest turns the light on in the mind and energy is suddenly available, even with something like sleepiness. I spoke the other morning about resistance. You know, resistance is something that we can not recognize, and we often over-efforting is when resistance is present but unrecognized, and we're trying to overcome. And so we're trying to be with some aspect of experience, but resistance is so strong in the mind that it's not even possible. And yet, resistance changes as soon as we become aware of it. As soon as there's interest in it. It's like we're no longer run by it. It's it's become the object of meditation. We will find, because we have so many changing experiences, and that at times you know, we get just attached to, identified with, uh, the mind sticky with these experiences, that at times how we meet the moment will vary. The effort or energy will vary. That the effort or energy to meet the moment when sleepiness is present, may be very different to the times in our practice where the mind is just naturally alight, and that it's just moment after moment of clear seeing and feels very effortless. We can't think that there's going to be a magic formula that works in any circumstances. We have to just look and see with conditions right now how much effort is needed to be present. And just relaxing in the seeing of that, not trying to force or create tension. Sports are one way that I often experience um, other casualties or learning about effort or energy. 
uh, you know, certainly, like for me, downhill skiing. I did that a lot when I was younger. And, you know, just if you've ever done any downhill skiing, you know that when conditions are icy, you're going to make a certain kind of effort. When it's slush and the snow is really heavy, it's going to be something different again. Or when um, it's light powder, you know, that probably is more like the effortless effort. And so, you know, we just meet this moment, looking to how we can meet this moment. This is really what we're doing. A few years ago, I was learning to mountain bike. Uh, Actually, around here, it's hill bike, I think. (laughs) We don't really have the mountains. But anyways, you know, riding on trails where it's bumpy and there's trees and branches. And and it was quite an endeavor. And uh, so, you know, me with my habit of over trying, what I found happening is I'd get into this difficult terrain and the tendency was to bear down. But what would happen as soon as I would bear down was, you know, was one area I was going through, a place where there was rocks on one side, trees on the other, and so this narrow path to go through. And in my bearing down, I would head right for the rock or right for the tree. <laughs> and that's, that's often what we do when we get into the difficult terrain. Tighten up. You know, try, you know, it's trying to rally that effort or energy. And that isn't really what's helpful. It's more that willingness of heart that will persevere. And, you know, one of the definitions of effort um, is that it's an enduring patience whether, uh, whenever we're in challenging situations. So, it's the willingness of heart to be with these challenges, to be patient with these challenges, and to stay steady in the face of what may seem difficult. I think that (laughs) a turtle can be a really good image around effort. You know, the steadfastness, the steady movement. But, you know, because we often equate effort and energy with intensity. And that intensity is good for short periods, but in the long haul of life, It's not enduring. And our practice is really in the long haul of life. And the exploration of it really begins to show us that when the effort is balanced, when there isn't this tightness, this tension, but there's a sense of relaxation, steadiness, gentleness, 
but a resolve of heart that really keeps in mind the object, the purpose of our meditation, that this brings about the energy that replenishes. It can be really good feedback at the end of the day to notice what the energy is like. You know, there certainly is a time where, where it starts to drop and sleep is appropriate. But if we've been trying too hard, at some point in the day we probably feel exhausted from it because the energy isn't replenishing. So there could be something in the way that we're applying that effort that is not wholesome, that is not helpful. And, you know, it will go back and forth in the course of a day where there will be times where it will feel like we can make the effort and it feels really easeful. And at times where a level of energy starts to diminish. And, you know, that was where I tended to judge myself, to get hard on myself. And um, then one day I had the great joy of listening to a Dharma talk from one of my teachers, Chame Sayada Ujanika. And he was talking about how, with effort or energy, that, uh, you know, that this happens, that sometimes it's strong, sometimes it's less. And, he, and then he said, but why? And I was listening with great interest. He said, because we are human. You know, so there's a level of energy that's going to shift and change in the day. But there's also what can happen is with that, we change how we meet that moment. You know, and I certainly found when I was practicing with a lot of physical exhaustion, how I met that moment was very different to when the body feels healthy, robust, you know, when there, there's just a physical energy that's present. So it's just really, you know, being intuitive in the meeting of this moment. Letting it be a play. And yeah, we just learn as we get, you know, if we become too tight, then we go, oh, i got to relax, relax, relax. And then we fall asleep and we go, no, no, tighten up, tighten up. And, it's, you know, it's a seesaw. Have fun. <laughs> Learn from it. Be lighthearted with it, playful with it. You know, this is where we're going to discover for ourselves. And watch the tendency, you know, to want to get caught in, in getting it perfect, getting it finely tuned, getting that balance that feels so good, you know. I'd like to also touch upon uh, when the Buddha spoke about there being four great endeavors of effort or energy. 
And he spoke about these endeavors as being to prevent the arising of unarisen, unwholesome states. This is guarding the mind. To abandon the unwholesome, already arisen states. And to arouse the wholesome states not yet arisen and the effort or energy to maintain and strengthen wholesome states. So this is, within this, I find really helpful guidelines that are related to right view, right, uh, uh, right thought, um, to, the, to the wisdom that supports the use of effort or energy. And so, you know, it's sort of like the sense of getting clearer in our own minds about what is helpful. And so these are, you know, some really, in some ways, very basic guidelines that really helpful. So to prevent the arising of unarisen, unwholesome states, it always feels like a tongue twister to say these. Uh, but this is where we're guarding the mind. That what we find is that when we are mindful, this prevents the mind from lapsing into unwholesome mind states. No, and we see, I hear many of you say that you're doing fine and then you have these periods where suddenly you're just lost in some difficult mind state, lost in a torrent of thought, and you realize it was at a time when mindfulness withered, where you just didn't pay attention. And so um, in order to prevent the arising of unarisen, unwholesome mind states, that what we do is we learn to be steady in mindfulness. And so, you know, it's really working with continuity of mindfulness, which we can only do moment by moment. That, but we, we you know, again, we learn to see for ourselves that this is really helpful. That when mindfulness is strong, steady, persistent, that the un, these unwholesome mind states aren't arising and taking hold. And yet we can find, even though with the best of intention, that there are karmic fruits that ripen from the past where suddenly there is an unwholesome mind state that has arisen. And so with right effort or energy, what we do is we include this in our practice. We let this become the object of our meditation so that it isn't fed, it isn't nourished, it isn't allowed to run rampant in the mind. It's not saying, you can't be here. It's like saying, okay, you're here. What's this like? What's the mind like now? But watching that uh, one abandons, or one doesn't pick up 
take to be I, me, or mine. One doesn't get identified with. So it's the abandoning of the unwholesome that has arisen. We do it, you know, sometimes just in the seeing of, it lets go. And sometimes through the taking interest in the stickiness, where the mind is caught, identified. The third uh, great endeavor of effort is to replace wholesome, to arouse wholesome states not yet arisen. And, you know, we really find that that comes naturally through working with the four foundations of mindfulness. That when we apply effort or energy, that we start to see what the mind is like when it's not run by greed, aversion, and delusion. We start to have faith in the power of the practice, and we willingly make effort. Sometimes we can um, find that doing some reflections can really arouse this um, energy to arouse wholesome states, like reflecting on sila or virtue. You know, that, that, you know, when, when, actually when we taste of the mind that in meditation isn't tormented by having done past actions that cause harm, we feel the buoyancy of that. We feel the stability that it brings to the mind. And that really is supportive in the arousing of wholesome states not yet arisen. We find that uh, with this is also an aspect, it really, uh, is it the function? Function of energy is to support. And so with this one, it's like we learn how to gladden the mind that may have become exhausted. That, you know, so that, that you know, in, um, like in the state of exhaustion, where we may have repeatedly worked with disturbing thoughts, emotions, uh, been the mind gets depleted through being with pain for long periods of time, that we learn there how to uplift the mind, how to gladden the mind. You know, and in the first instance, it may be being with in a very simple way. Now, certainly for me, that was a lesson of all of my years of chronic fatigue. How to be with in the most simple way possible. What is just the mind naturally aware of? Even if it's tiredness, even if it's dullness, just letting it rest there. Or just being with the simplicity of the breath. Or it may be in those moments knowing that a little bit of encouragement might be helpful. To remember that, yeah, we faced challenges in the past, 
but we've been okay. That maybe it's remembering somebody else who faced a similar challenge. And that we know that they faced that challenge and benefited from it. Sometimes it might be just knowing that, you know, in order to find a wholesome place for the mind again, we need encouragement from a teacher, from, you know, or from the teachings, you know, looking to uh, the, the Dhamma to inspire us. And then the fourth of the great endeavors is to maintain already arisen wholesome states. And this is where we just are very steadfast and keep in mind our object of meditation, which doesn't mean we cling to the breath. <laughs> I mean, that, that isn't. It's when the mind is very wholesome, balanced, and steadfast in turning the mind towards truth. It can really rest in the seeing of the way things are. can rest in acceptance, allowing, receiving. And so with the effort or energy there, it's what allows the mind to be steadfast there rather than to sink into what, you know, the pleasure of wholesome, the, um, where, where it's not getting attached, but it's a very stable mind. I'd like to share a teaching from Sayadaw Utejaniya. We always need to remember the difference between personal exertion and dhamma taking over. As long as we are striving, as long as we are trying, we believe that we are the ones that produce the input that creates the result. But when the dhamma takes over, there is no trying to get anywhere. There is just a doing of what is necessary. If you are personally very involved in trying to do the practice, you cannot see what is going on naturally. So for many of us, it's needing to go back to that sense of faith, that trust, that sense of allowing, accepting, to just keep persistence in the turning the mind towards this moment as it is the object of our meditation. So that object can be always changing. That doesn't matter. It's about turning the mind towards what is.
watching if it starts to seem like drudgery, heavy. You know, what's getting mixed in there? How weighty does it feel? And what brings the buoyancy, the vitality, the interest? You know, it can really be a playful investigation. And then at times, you know, if the mind is just waffling, there will be, there is a type of effort or energy that is just like enough. But it's based in wisdom. It's based in seeing this leads to suffering. And it's enough. And so it might be a very powerful energy. Um, it might be, you know, just having to call forth that energy says that just, you know, the Nike saying, just do it. You know, just turn up. Just look. And, you know, the more in touch we are with our motivation, the why we do this practice, it's just, you know, if we're really practicing to alleviate suffering, both in our lives and the world at large, and we see that by continually turning our minds to what is, that is where we can come to understand deeply things as they are. That effort becomes very joyful. I'd like to close tonight with um, some words from other teachers. And this is, it's said that the cause for the arising of effort or energy is spiritual urgency, which I have spoken about before. So tonight, just to share a few words that give just perspective to what we're doing, why we're doing this. So this is from Mizumi Roshi, who died in 1995. And he left his final statement of empowerment from master to his successor, his disciple, Sensei Glassman. And he said this. So this is his final statement. Life after life, birth after birth, please practice diligently. Never falter. Do not let die the wisdom seed of the Buddhas and ancestors. Truly, I implore you. And then from the first Dalai Lama, when he was asked if there was any special prayers to be read after his death, he answered, Always bear the teachings of the Buddha in mind, and for the sake of all beings, 
apply them to the cultivation of your own mind stream. Make every effort to live, meditate, and teach in accordance with the true teachings of the Buddha. This alone can fulfill my wishes. And then from Milarepa, a great Tibetan master of the 11th century. When he was asked by his disciples about funeral instructions, he replied, Instead of erecting stupas, cultivate a loving devotion to all parts of the Dharma and set up the banner of love. And in place of memorials, let there be daily prayers. Life is short, the moment of death unknown to you. So apply yourselves to meditation. So let's just sit for a moment. There should always be the greatest possible effort without forcing, without creating tension. So closing with the reflections on the sharing of blessings. Mm 